This is Financial Standard, the definitive source of news, thought leadership and analysis for Australian wealth management professionals. Financial Standard. Take the lead. I'm Cassandra Baldini with Financial Standard. ESG within financial services is no longer something to scoff at or scrutinise. It's no longer passed off as a fluff subject skipped at boardroom meetings. In fact, regulatory and legislative pressure on ESG and climate disclosure is strengthening and companies worldwide are feeling the heat. Here with me to share further insights on the topic is FS Sustainability Managing Editor Rachel Allen Backus. Rach, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Cass, it's an absolute pleasure. You're one of my favorite colleagues here at Financial Standard. That's so lovely of you. Thank you. (laughs) You recently appeared at the Financial Standard Technical Services Forum presenting Rainmaker data that highlighted the growth of ESG within Australia. Can you walk us through some of these numbers and tell us when momentum really started to build in the financial sector? Yeah, sure. Thank you so much, Cass. Well, look, going by our own Rainmaker information uh, research, uh, we have approximately $444.7 billion in Australian-based ESG, ethical, and SRI investment managers as of the end of March 2022. So I'm sure that number is only larger now. Plan for Life, another one of our one, another one of our data providers, identified that responsible investment funds certified by the Responsible Investment Association of Australasia had grown to over $85 billion as of the end of March 2022. Uh, These are funds from both Australia and Aotearoa, New Zealand. So we're talking about big numbers in the financial services industry. I suppose there's a couple of tipping points here. Um, I think to me, uh, the big one is um, in the wake of the Black uh, the Black Summer fires that went up and down the east coast of Australia in 2019-2020, consumer interest in products that were aware of climate risk and trying to find climate positive solutions absolutely accelerated. But there's been a steady increase year on year in terms of ESG fund flows from institutional and retail investors, probably for the last, I want to say now, sort of at least 12 years that I've been doing FS Sustainability. Well, we know that financial institutions are some of the main players behind achieving net zero targets and ensuring a sustainable future. So can you tell me what's happening here in our own backyard to drive ESG initiatives? What is the government and the industry doing to ensure we meet these goals? Oh, that's a really big question, Cass, and it's an ongoing discussion. (laughs) Um, So first of all, let's take it from um, the regulatory approach and then maybe some future legislative and industry activities breaking into three. So looking at the regulatory approach, um, the three major regulators of the market, that being APRA, ASIC, and the ACCC, um, have all been really, really clear that where they find greenwashing, they will take enforcement action. Um, we've seen enforcement action by ASIC against Vanguard Investments, Talau Energy, for example, and they're currently taking Mercer Super to court for greenwashing, uh, for alleged allegations of greenwashing in the Mercer Super product. The chair of ASIC, Joe Longo, has also said that other investigations are further ongoing. Um, The ACCC has received several greenwashing complaints that they're investigating as well. The problem is that we don't have a proactive definition of what ESG, sustainable green, and impact are. So we know what greenwashing is. We know what funds and uh, managers shouldn't be doing because it falls afoul of, you know, 
continuous disclosure to market or being truthful and open with uh, with consumers and Superfund members. But we don't actually know what a positive definition of ESG and sustainability is. Um, this is where we get to the work of the Australian Sustainable Finance Institute, which is an industry-led body that's working on creating what they call a taxonomy for sustainable development. A taxonomy is just a fancy word for a set of definitions. Uh, they've come out with a final roadmap paper recently, and they say that what they're going to go for is a traffic light system where funds that are aligned with sustainable and net zero are green, those that are in the transition space. So where there's, you know, investments in emissions intensive industries or, you know, activities that aren't necessarily aligned to sustainable outcomes, but are getting there, they'll be amber and everything else, those that don't have any sustainable outcome will be a red light. Um, Assistant Treasurer Stephen Jones has said that the government is committed to working with the finance industry to establish a national standard for taxonomy with an Australian accent. Um, So we'll see what happens later this year. How are we coming up against our global counterparts? Can you fill us in Mm. in some of the initiatives around the world that you think are superior in this space? Well, look, this is one of those situations, Cass, where Australia is a bit of a laggard in terms of coming up with definitions, but it might actually work out in our favor. Um, So at the global level, the leader is the European Union. The European Union has a regime called SFDR, um, which divides funds into three tiers, Article 6, Article 8, Article 9, um, which which is a very European Union approach to it. Um, Article 6 are funds that don't have a sustainability scope. Article 8 are funds that promote environmental or social characteristics. They're known as light green. And Article 9 are funds that have sustainable investments as their objective. And those are dark green. So again, sort of a three-level approach where you can sort of see where that traffic light regime of ASFI aligns to that. Um, Similarly, in the United States, um, the Securities and Exchange Commission, which is the main markets regulator over there, um, is working through a rules change scenario where they'll also divide um, products and advisory services into three tiers. Um, One will be ESG integration funds, which integrate ESG factors alongside non-ESG, ESG-focused funds, which are funds that have ESG as a significant or main consideration, and impact funds, which is a subset of ESG-focused that are seeking to achieve a specific environmental or social impact. So again, three tiers. Um, There's other jurisdictions that have product disclosure or are working on them, including Singapore, uh, Canada, Hong Kong, India, Malaysia, the Philippines, Singapore, Taiwan, Thailand, and the United Kingdom. The fact that Australia hasn't been first to market with standards um, can can have some advantages, Cass, because in that it allows us to align to other markets like the European Union and the United States. And one of the goals of the ASFI taxonomy is that concept of interoperability so that, you know, a fund that's registered in European Union can look at the standards in Australia and go, oh, our Article 9 um, meets the green traffic light consideration and there'll be less paperwork and vice versa. Australian financial products could potentially be sold into uh, the EU because they meet the EU standards as well. well. That's a really interesting point of view. Thank you so much for sharing that one with us. Hmm. The rise in ESG has also seen a rise in greenwashing. Mm. Can you tell us what are the penalties for misrepresenting, sorry, misrepresenting a financial product or investment strategy mm-hmm. by claiming it's falsely environmentally friendly, sustainable, or ethical? I mean, mm-hmm. how much trouble can these firms get in? Well, look, you're talking about, um, so where ASIC is looking at greenwashing, um, the relevant legislation is the Corporations Act, um, which goes to that continuous disclosure obligation. 
it's sort of how long is a piece of string to this certain extent, Cass? So thus far, um, ASIC has levied, um, as we talked about, infringement notices against several organizations, um, so far totaling about $140,000. So Black Mountain Energy, Diversa Trustees Limited, Vanguard Investments, and uh, Talao Energy. The infringement notices that have been handed out by ASIC so far have been companies that have self-reported to ASIC where they have uncovered Mm -hmm. instances. For example, um, Vanguard Investments um, found that in some of their funds, they were saying that they were tobacco free, but yet they were invested in retailers like Kohl's and Woolies who obviously sell tobacco. And so they they put their hands up, reported it to ASIC, were given, you know, an an infringement, um, but, you know, not taken to court. Um, At the opposite end, there's Mercer, which is now going to go through a civil court procedure um, that's ongoing right now. Uh, Not quite sure what the penalties potentially could be from there, um, but it could be it could be fairly significant if found guilty. Well, an interesting point you mentioned is funds are walking away from global initiatives that require mm. action on climate. You provided mm-hmm. the example of Unisuper and Active Super pulling parts mm-hmm. of their climate and responsible investment reporting from their websites. You further touched on funds such as CBAS, which quit the Net Zero Asset Owners Alliance. My question here is why would super funds and all financial institutions pick this moment to remove Mm. transparency? And what is being Mm. done to ensure members and investors know the full extent of their environmental footprint? It's this gets to this concept of green hushing, where you know, in entities, businesses, super funds, products may be um, removing disclosure from their public facing their websites and that sort of thing um, for various reasons. I'd like to sort of separate what you've talked about into two separate buckets here, and then talk about um, CBUS and Vanguard separately. Yep have removed some reports and some reporting from their website while they're undergoing a compliance and legal review to make sure that what they're saying uh, matches their action. Um, And, you know, look, I go back to it as a foundational statement. I've said this a couple of times, but, you know, to paraphrase Paul Keating, uh, the moment we're in with greenwashing and ESG is the moment the industry had to have where there's Mm -hmm. a reflection, a reconsideration and being very scrupulous with legal risk and compliance, as well as investment teams to make sure that what the funds are reporting to their members are in line with what they're actually doing. Greater transparency, greater specificity enhances consumer and member choice. And that is a good thing. Um, Entities should be continuously, you know, continuously examining their reporting to make sure that they're doing it in members' best interest and being scrupulous in their disclosure. Separate to that, um, so CBUS leaving the Net Zero Asset Owners Alliance, Vanguard walking away from the Net Zero Asset Managers Initiative. I think that this is something that goes to sort of the deeper and harder question around achieving net zero. So Net Zero Asset Owners Alliance, Net Zero Investment Man- uh, Net Zero Asset Managers Alliance are voluntary. Um, these are bodies that have that these entities that these companies have signed up for, saying that they will hit net zero by a certain amount of time. They may not be able to both fulfill their obligations uh, in CBUS's case to provide best outcomes for members under the sole purpose test and hold to a hard net zero target of 2050. Now, CBUS said when they left the alliance that their reason for doing that was that, you know, they were um, they were reassigning internal resources to focus on their net zero activities. Transitioning 
an investment portfolio and holding to net zero uh, obligations in an economy like Australia is a huge challenge because mm-hmm. so much of our economy is predicated on emissions intensive activities, yeah. our energy grid, the mining sector, the financing of these sectors through our financial services system. Yeah. And so the primary goal for super funds has to be that sole purpose test. And if it means leaving voluntary organizations to the side, that's a decision that they have to make as professional fiduciaries. Um, Again, it's an opportunity for reflection within the sector. You know, what do we mean when we say net zero? What do we mean Mm. when we say net zero is in best interests of member outcomes? Um, And that's a healthy discussion to have. Finally, what changes do you think Australia is going to see in the regulation of greenwashing and ESG in general in the coming future? I think it's only going to get stronger, Cass. Um, so as I said, ASFI is going to come out with this standard, um, this taxonomy for defining what sustainable finance activity is. That's going to be enormously helpful because it'll give a common language between financial institutions, uh, utilizers of those products, whether they're the companies that get green financing or people who get green loans and green mortgages, and the end member in, of a super fund. It is an open question how the government supports, enacts, integrates that taxonomy. Um, I think that'll be subject to you know very vigorous negotiation. But all of the regulators plus Treasury are watching this ASFI uh, taxonomy process um, with a really eager eye. Um, certainly, ASIC has said, as I said before, they're continuing their investigations. The ACCC is continuing its investigations. There is a high likelihood that there will be individual lawsuits against companies and super funds. Uh, remember, a couple of years ago, we had REST, uh, McV versus REST, where a member of REST super fund um, sued for enhanced disclosure of REST's activities in the climate space. Mm-hmm. Um, the Australian Centre for Corporate Responsibility is currently suing Santos um, over greenwashing claims um, and sort of what they characterize, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, let me just get the exact wording on this so I can be accurate. Um, myriad of charges um, related to their climate disclosure report. So that's only going to continue as well. Yeah. It's such an interesting space and it sounds like there is a lot to come. So, you know, thank you for jumping on and just sharing some of those insights with us today. Really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure, Cass. Anytime. Thank you, Rach. Thanks for listening to this Financial Standard podcast. For more information, visit financialstandard.com.au. Please keep in mind that the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature and does not consider personal circumstances. Reliance should not be placed on any content without further independent financial research and advice. 